Well, good morning, guys. I don't know whose idea it was to wear flannel today, but it's a hot day for flannel. Would y'all agree with me? I burned up during the first service. Um, but no, it was my idea, so I have to um, have to, to beat myself up there a little bit. But it was, um, I'm, I'm glad, it's still, it's fun. And when I saw Travis walk in, I don't know where he's at now with his flannel. Uh, yeah, it got my attention. He, 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 he got the memo this morning. So... I'm glad you guys are here. It's, uh, I, I, we're we're going to start with uh, some Christmas uh, flannel trivia for you this morning. I know you just, here's everything you need to know about flannel this morning. Here's the first thing. Did you know there is a National Flannel Day on February 10th? Now you do. Um, did you know that on that flannel can be traced back to the country of Wales during the 16th century. Uh, during those times, it was called Welsh cotton, which was strange because it wasn't cotton. It was actually wool. So uh, it was coarse woolen fabric. So uh, it, it goes all the way back to the 16th century. It kind of fell out of style, but in the 1990s, flannel had a resurgence. And do you know why? Grunge music. So we can thank grunge music. Uh, for bringing flannel back in style. Uh, and then the most popular pattern is called buffalo check or buffalo plaid. Yeah, Jose mentioned that last week. I'm like, what is buffalo plaid? I, don't, I was like, Eugene, I had no idea. Uh, and that's what this pattern is on the screen, like the red and black check pattern. Uh, and there's two, now here's what's interesting. There's two kind of controversies about where this is from. It's either from the McGregor clan in Scotland, they kind of claim it, that it's their pattern, family pattern, or Woolrich uh, released uh, in, in Pennsylvania, released a red and black shirt in 1850 called the Buffalo Check. Um, and legend has it, the company said, that the designer of that fabric owned a herd of buffalo. And because of that, that's why he named it after his beloved herd. So... I'm sure you're just going to walk away from this morning and say, man, I didn't know all that about flannel. I'm so glad I was at church today. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, we're going to have fun during this Christmas season here at Cornerstone. And um, I'm not sure what I'm going to wear next week for red and green, uh, but there is a suit that exists yeah. that is green and red in my closet. I'm not sure if that's what I'm going to wear because I'm not sure if it fits. That's the problem I have with many of my uh, old suits. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're in this series called Make Room. And um, make room is a phrase that we tend to use uh, in kind of different situations, right? We use it like if you're walking down a, a busy street, you're like, make room. You know, you kind of, you, you, if you don't say it, you're thinking it. Like, these people need to get out of my way. We need to make room. Um, or, or maybe you use it at the dinner table when there's not a seat and you want to sit down. It's like, can y'all make room? Can y'all slide over? Like, make room, right, when, it, when we're too crowded. Uh, when things are too cluttered and you need more space. Like, we need to make room in our basement for more junk, right? We need to, that, that's how most Americans think, all right? I, I need more storage space or I need a, to make room so I need to go buy a storage shed for, I need more room. That's kind of how we think about make room, right? It's like when things are cluttered, when things are crowded, when things are busy, when things are... Uh, we've got to make room to give us space to do what we want to do. And so I would say that phrase also takes us back 2,000 years ago 
when Mary and Joseph showed up uh, and they were told there's no room for Jesus here at the inn. These are pretty chilling words when you think about it. Because I would say in the craziness of Christmas, I think these words are often true of us, especially here at Christmas time, that there's no room because things are too cluttered, too busy, too chaotic. And so we don't make room for Jesus. We get so busy with decorating and, uh, you know, how, it, it's amazing, isn't it, that every single year you get your Christmas lights out and they don't work. I don't know how that works. Every single time you first have to untangle them and then realize they don't work so you have to go buy a new strand. So, uh, or go through every single light like Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation trying to find the one that, that, that you know, that, that's, but we, we get so busy with all of that stuff. Going to all the Christmas parties, all the Christmas events, doing everything, all the family events, and all these expectations that we have to make the perfect family experience at Christmas, all the expectations that have been placed on us by others that we've got to do everything just right. Uh, And there's just simply no room for Jesus when we're rushing around, we're trying to get more done, we're trying so hard to make everyone happy, just like the innkeeper whose inn was too full Our schedules sometimes don't leave room for Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate Advent this season. It's an invitation to slow down. It's an invitation to make room for the things that truly matter. Uh, We celebrate Advent with the expectation, with the anticipation that the greatest gift of all time is coming near. And that we've got to make room in our lives to experience God breaking into our world and living in us and through us. And so it's a mix of excitement, it's a mix of rest and anticipation of transformation. That's what Christmas uh, is really about. And so this morning, I'm going to just jump right into the message. Um, I ended up cutting out about half my message first service, so we'll see uh, what, what I do this, this sermon because I ran out of time. Uh, but here's the first point this morning. During Advent, we remember and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus And we join together in the hope of his ultimate return. Advent is a a season. We'll talk about that this morning, what Advent really is. But it's about waiting. It's about preparing for Jesus. It's about taking stock of our crowded lives and and making room for Jesus. Uh, What is Advent, though? It's a word that has Latin roots. It means the coming or the arrival. And so... Uh, centuries and generations of Christians have spoke of the advent of our Lord and his second advent. Uh, The first phrase, his advent, uh, it really comes down to Jesus being God in the flesh. Uh, Jesus coming to our world and dwelling among us, the incarnation. Uh, the, The second advent is when Jesus is going to return. And so we have those two things, those two advents, his first coming and his second coming. So we remember one and we uh, anticipate the second. The second. And so before Christmas, Christians around the world uh, take time to prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so this began somewhere around the fourth century that churches would take four weeks to celebrate the uh, and prepare themselves for the arrival of Jesus. Uh, by the Middle Ages, four Sundays had become the standard link of the Advent season. Uh, and so 
typically churches reflect on the themes of hope, uh, peace, love, and joy. And so that's what we're going to do this Christmas season. We're going to take each Sunday, talk about how we make room for uh, hope this morning, how we make room for peace, how we make room for joy, how we make room for love in our lives as we prepare ourselves for Christmas. And so I want to just kind of challenge you, all right, uh, to, to, to start in your minds preparing yourself for Christmas. Instead of surviving the Christmas season, instead of kind of just let's get through this, let's prepare ourselves. Uh, Advent is a time of waiting and preparing. Oh, let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, I think there's three types of people in the room. Uh, the first, uh, would you be honest enough, raise your hand if you started decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving. Anybody? Okay, well, we got a lot. You are the other ones in the room that, uh, as a kid, you could not wait, and you went ahead and got the cookie out of the cookie jar when your parents weren't around, right? You are you you like, man, I've I've got such a sense of anticipation that I've got to to start decorating soon. How many of you wait to uh, Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving to start doing your Christmas decorations? That's what we do. We, we, we typically, like, we, we have to leave the pumpkins out until Thanksgiving, and then they're coming down and the tree's going up. Um, so you guys are the ones that, like, are, like, order and structure, and, you know, that when it comes to waiting, you like everything being clearly defined. Now, there's a, there's a third group of people, and you are the ones who haven't started decorating for Christmas yet and haven't even, even thought about decorating for Christmas yet. And you may get around to decorating for Christmas or you may not. Is that any, anybody here? Would that be you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Y'all the ones who are just like, forget waiting. I'm just, it's Christmas. I didn't know it's Christmas. When, you know, you're the ones in Walmart on Christmas Eve like, what can I get for gifts? Is that, can y'all relate? Um. I'm, I'm just saying that because when it comes to waiting and anticipation, we all wait differently, right? And, if, and when it comes to putting Christ at the center uh, of, of Christmas, we've got to understand this is important. This is important. Uh, what, what does it mean to wait? Uh, what does it mean to, to anticipate? What does it mean to, to actively long for and think about? Uh, this, is, this is so important. I was reading a, a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week, and maybe you, you've heard of him. He was a German pastor, theologian during World War II, uh, imprisoned and eventually killed uh, for his faith, um, for standing up against Hitler. Um, and it was interesting, he, while he was in prison, he wrote a letter to his parents and said, and, and basically, so I won't read the whole thing, I'll paraphrase it. He just says, we've got to still celebrate Christmas. Still got to decorate, uh, just as you did in the earlier years. You must do this even now more intensively because we do not know how much longer we have. He went on to say, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in their soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. We do celebrate because we are broken, because we live in an imperfect world. As we start this sermon series, I just want to extend an invitation to you. Uh, an invitation to the imperfect, to those of you who are broken, to those of you who are hurried, to those of you who are frustrated, to those of you who are busy, those of you who are struggling just to survive. I want you to regain the wonder of Jesus this Christmas. 
I don't know about you, but I just don't want to go through the motions year after year. I want more than that. I want to truly think about who Jesus is, about why he came, and about why it matters today. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they knew about waiting. They knew a lot more about waiting than I think than we do. We're not good at waiting. Um, anytime you have to wait at a stop a traffic stopic light, what a traffic light stop light traffic light? I combine two words there. That's a new word. Anytime you have to wait at a, a traffic light, or anytime you have to wait in line at the store, we, we, we're not good at waiting. But I want you to think about the Israelites because they experienced heartbreak, they experienced war. They experienced defeat and exile to a foreign land. They experienced silence, and yet they still were waiting for a Messiah. In Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet wrote of a time. And in Isaiah 1.18, this is what they had hope in. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for someone that would come and fix the problem that they had and rescue them. And over the next many chapters and verses in Isaiah, Isaiah gives us glimpses of the gospel. How can we get rid of our sins? Who can help us? And whom can we hope? How are we going to know when he's here? What we see is that they were hanging on to hope. They knew something better was coming. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas carols is Oh Holy Night. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, Jennifer will tell you I do sing it at home. Um, I think it's magnificent, but um, I think she would disagree. Um, it's such a song, you can just belt it out, all right? Uh, but there's a line in it, a thrill of hope, the, the weary world rejoices. Uh, we have a, a, a wall picture painting in our room I said first service that we got it at Hobby Lobby, and I don't. And I get a text message that pops up on my phone while I'm preaching. We didn't get it from Hobby Lobby. I got fact checked during the first, ser- first sermon. Um, I don't know where we got it from, but um, it's interesting. When my kids were here, they would do that all the time. They would text me while I'm preaching and like make fun of my shoes or you know doing stuff, and so. I got fact checked. I don't know where we got it, but we've got a nice big wall. It looks like it's from Hobby Lobby. You could probably find one at Hobby Lobby. Uh, a, a thrill. And I love that line because I feel like we are in that weary world. Would y'all agree? We're in a weary world. And what we're looking for is that thrill, that hope that we all are just clinging. We need that hope. There's so much hope and anticipation and waiting. And if we can get Christmas in the right perspective, we get that thrill back. And so what we're going to do each week of this series, though, I want us to make sure we're, we have a proper understanding of what hope and joy and peace and love and what they really are. Uh, I was studying this week and uh, I ran across a, a, a series on Advent that the Bible Project did. And it's basically a word study on each of these words. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with their videos, really kind of cool videos, uh, I want to take some time this morning. We're going to watch a video about hope and learn the biblical root of what hope really is from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think as we do that each week, we're going to gain a better understanding of what we're talking about. 
So let's watch that video. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold. 
waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Good stuff. It's, um, I love watching those videos because it kind of gives you a better understanding, gives you a context of the words that we just kind of flippantly throw around sometimes to understand that hope is more than just being optimistic. It, it, there's really more to it. It's that confident expectation that God can and God will fulfill all that he said he would do. That's the hope that we stand on. And to understand that a little better this morning, uh, I want to kind of take us through uh, several passages in the book of Isaiah. Again, Isaiah was written 700 years before, before Jesus. And yet it gives this perfect picture of who Jesus is and what he would look like and what he would do. Uh, we see this prophetic imagery telling of one who would come to rescue his people. The one who would suffer as a servant. The one who would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Again, to me, just absolutely incredible that this prophecy was 700 years before Jesus, and yet gives us this perfect picture of who Jesus is. He's telling the people what to look for. This is how you're going to know that the Messiah has arrived. You need to make room for hope. And so what I want to do today uh, is, is kind of help us learn, learn and understand how to make room for some hope this Christmas. I want to give you kind of three just steps that you need to take to make room for hope. Here's the first one. They're going to be very practical this morning. We've got to clear the clutter. If we want to make room for hope, we've got to clear the clutter. Let's return again to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The context of this is the political struggle of the, the nation of Israel. It was a time of Ahaz. The people were losing hope. It was a dark time. And I think we can relate sometimes to that as well because we look around at our world and things don't seem to be getting better, right? We look around and it's frustrating. Uh, it seems like evil just is more evil. It seems like there's more acts of violence. It seems like government is just lost in so many places, in so many ways. And, and, and we kind of throw our hands up and, and we ask, is there any hope, right? We ask, do we, do we see that there's hope? And, and we struggle with that. And I would say what Isaiah is telling them here, he's giving them hope because he's saying, you may be in darkness now, but the light is coming. Have you ever noticed in the midst of like all the busyness and the, the uh, and Galax is not a big city, I, I know that, 
But even here, if you're right in the middle of downtown, you don't see the stars really well. But you drive just a few miles out. You drive up to the parkway, right? And look at one of those overlooks and just look up at the sky. It's amazing how many stars are out. You're like, you, you would never know it until you get out in the middle of nowhere and you just look up and you see. I would say that that's what happens in our lives sometimes. We're in, in the chaos and the clutter and the busyness. We don't notice the light. We don't notice the stars. We don't notice the hope because we're so cluttered. Later, as we read through the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, there's a period of about 400 years uh, that are called the silent years because the people simply don't hear from God. And during this time, they're wondering, they're, they're holding on to these, uh, these prophecies from Isaiah saying, in, in our time of darkness, there's going to be light. And it's in the midst of that darkness when Jesus shows up. I would say um, that we live in a world that's pretty cluttered today. Um, but I was thinking about this, it reminded me, uh, I, I don't know, like when I think back to my childhood and I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and it was different back then, but wanted, we got drug around to a lot of family gatherings and family reunions and a lot of relatives' homes all over the place. And one of the things I remember is, like, you go to these people's homes and uh, your family homes and stuff, and, like, you would go, and, like, and the style at that time was knickknacks everywhere. You know, you know what I'm t- talking about when I talk about knickknacks, Right. And like every countertop, every table, everything was covered and stuff. And as a kid, this is what you heard over and over. Don't touch that. Don't sit there. Don't go here. Don't do that. Can, can y'all relate to that? Um, that's what I remember. Everything was so cluttered, you couldn't move. Uh, you, you, and even to eat, you like, and so to eat, what did we do? We brought out the TV tables. You remember those? With fiberglass TV tables. Y'all remember so I'm showing my age here a little bit, but because you didn't have room to sit anywhere or put a table up because of the knickknacks everywhere. And thankfully, we've kind of moved away from all of that clutter and knickknacks. But here's what we've done. We've replaced the clutter on the tables with clutter in our calendar. Hadn't we? Now our calendars are cluttered. Now we have so many activities and events and things and parties and this and and we got all the school events and the school stuff and all the church stuff and all the, the family stuff and all the, it, it's all these expectations that have been piled on us. And in that clutter, we've lost a little of the hope and wonder of Christmas. I, I would say, right, that we live in a time where there's no room, no space, no time for the unexpected. We're so busy that we miss the light all around us. We're depressed because it seems there's no hope for the world around us. Our government is broken. Our communities are broken. There's poverty and drug use and homelessness. And you can get so wrapped up in seeing the the problems that you don't see the light. Greed is rampant. Inflation is high. People are struggling. It's, It's a dark time. But there's hope. There's hope, right? I feel like if we changed our perspective and and found that quiet place this Christmas season to reflect and and gaze upon the true light, it would change our whole perspective about Christmas. Think about the wise men who looked up, saw the star, and were willing to chase and follow after that star. 
right? God revealed to them, right, that 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 is worth everything. We need to look up. We need to find Jesus. Advent is this season of transition between what is and what will be. It's a preparation for Christmas. And what if we stopped and listened and looked and made room in our life? We've got to clear the clutter to do that. Our hearts are cluttered with worry, stress, anxiety. All that is distraction that can prevent us from experiencing the joy and peace of Christmas. So we've got to clear out the clutter, but let's not stop there. Let's keep going. Here's the second thing we've got to do. Once we clear out the the clutter, we've got to find the light. We've got to look up and we've got to find the light. Maybe you've heard the phrase that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I feel like for so many people, that's the hope they're clinging on to. There's... We're, we're, it's a dark time now, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave Isaiah this promise of a Savior. It was a source of hope. Um, and I read this quote this week. It says, you can't appreciate the miracle of the sunrise unless you've waited in the darkness. There's so much truth to that. Isaiah foretells a change from darkness to light. And remember, again, he did this 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David from all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven armies will make this happen right we read earlier in in chapter 9 about the people who walk in darkness will see a great light and then this is how isaiah says this is the great light the light that the world needed would come about through the birth of a child a child with extraordinary names wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace jesus is first coming it fulfilled God's promise to save his people spiritually. It was not the earthly king that they expected, but it was the king that they needed. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to dispel the darkness in our life. He came to bring light. And we see that theme of light throughout the New Testament. John talks often of it. In John 8, uh, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This, this, this is the hope that we have, right? He brings light to our dark world. Uh, John 12 says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Uh, you can keep going, right? First uh, John 1, 7. But we are living in the light as God is in the light. Then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. You see what light does? It reveals, it reveals our sin. It reveals our need. It reveals the depravity. It reveals everything about us. But the, the great thing is the light reveals it, but it also heals it. It also changes it. It transforms it, right? Darkness is the absence of light. When you bring light into it, it's no longer dark anymore. 
And that's what Jesus does into our world. He, he illuminates it. He, he brings hope. He brings peace. He brings love and joy into it. But we've got to find that light. And we've got to allow it to shine into our world. That kind of brings me to my final point this morning. If we do that, if we've got to make room for this, then we're going to share it once we find it. We've got to share the hope that we found. Um, Nelson Mandela said, As we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people the permission to do the same. And when we as believers, we let our light shine, what we're doing is we're giving encouragement to everyone else to do the same thing. Uh, The Bible Project video we watched, it said this. It said, biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Did you catch that? Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize that there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Again, we, we think of, uh, of uh, hope as let's fix the problems that I have. Let's kind of fix these situations. Let's fix these circumstances. Hope is it doesn't matter what happens in this life because we get eternity with Jesus. We have a mission. We have a purpose. But our circumstances could be good. Our circumstances could be bad. Uh, We could go through trials and trouble and suffering, but it's still all right. We still have hope because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done. Isaiah 40, verse 31, this is uh, kind of the the amplified version here. It's kind of interesting. It said, those who wait for the Lord, and it kind of adds in who expect, who look for, who hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles, rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. One of my favorite verses. Um, and, and, and the reason why, I mean, when we wait, when we understand this season of waiting that we're in, this season of, of anticipation, we can look for it, we can find that hope, and it's going to give us the strength to find the light that we need. The Bible Project video also said Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward And so we wait. And that's what the biblical word for hope is all about, right? That's what he was saying there. We look back so that we can look forward. We can look back to the promises that he gave us and see how he has fulfilled them so we can look forward to his return. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1, it says, We are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this. This is how we keep our hope. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. This is the biblical hope we're talking about. 
it can be difficult to share hope sometimes, but especially when we're busy. And I want to challenge you a little bit this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we go through it, to make room in your life for hope, to make room to share this hope. Now, we give you some opportunities to share and serve as a church. We try not to overwhelm you, though, because we know that um, sometimes it, all the extra activities are just another burden. But we give you opportunities, whether it's through the giving tree or whether it's through volunteering in different ways. I mean, our, our warming shelter is absolutely amazing, the work that's being done through that each and every week. We had seven or eight people the last night it was open. Um, people that are struggling, people that are hurting, people that need hope, right? And, and so we, this is an opportunity for us to share the hope we have with others. It's our season of giving, but we give not just money, but our time, our prayer, our resources. We just listen, we look, we, we seek out the light. And so I, I want to close with... Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians, it says, We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, just see it at all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do that lead us towards that consummation. We trust steadily in God. We hope unswervingly and we love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. We, I love this. We, we trust in God. We hope unswervingly and we love extravagantly. That's what it looks like to live a life uh, that makes room for Jesus this Christmas. And so uh, I want to challenge us today, right? Uh, I, I, I read this, and this, I really will close with this. Here and now, we stand waiting and hoping as well. We stand on the other side of the timeline. We look back at the first advent. We look toward the second one. We are waiting on the Messiah to return, to defeat the enemy, to drive back the darkness once and for all. We are waiting for all things to be made new. We are waiting on the hope for the promise to be fulfilled. We have the privilege of knowing the full story. We know the promised Messiah came to earth. He died for the sins of the world. And He is risen, conquering death and darkness, pain, doubt, and fear. He is our thrill of hope. He is the reason that this weary world rejoices. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning as we've just taken a look at Your Word and we get a glimpse of the hope that Your people had for You for century after century, I pray that we can regain some of that wonder of that anticipation that they had for their Savior. Let us look back to when Jesus came to understand what it means for us today, how it changes us, how it transforms us, how it leads us to live a life that is different. It's, it's a living hope that we have now because of who Jesus is and what He did. Lord, I pray for... Uh, each person in this room that no matter what they came in here with, the burden, the, the weariness, that they would be able to rejoice and see hope. That if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they say, I I'm ready to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Lord, we just thank you this morning for who you are. We worship you. We lift up your name. 
Help us to make room for you, to make room for the hope you've given us. It's in Jesus' name I pray this morning. Amen.